Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. So, did your son put turkey in his, his oats? Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if, it was, if it does, uh, it you got to have turkey. It was oat milk with oat milk, oatmeal squares. Just really going all in on the oats. Uh, 100% oats all the time. And then, yeah, I believe an applesauce pouch. I believe an applesauce nice. pouch. Nice. Which are pretty good. Those are also pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't know. I haven't had one, but they look pretty good. <laughs> so, but I will keep an eye on. We're gonna we're going into full turkey turkey sandwich watch oh, for yeah, this for week. Sure. So I'll let I'll keep you posted on uh, perfect if there's any turkey sandwiches for breakfast. Can you make sure that that hits Twitter because I I think that everybody's gonna want to know about this. That's true. Well, the thing that we've learned is that um, our demographic. People who listen to our podcast are super interested in things that aren't related to Elixir, just like sort of our lives. Yep. And um, that's what they want to hear more of. The people have spoken, and that's what they want to hear more of. Oh, man. So, and I'm here to give it to them. I'm here to provide that sort of, 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 entertainment. of insight into my yep. life and that sort of content. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, providing I really a feel valuable like, service. I think I, think I feel like I, I know you even more. Mm-hmm. As as this comes out, and, and I've I've heard that from other people, they just really appreciate feeling like they they're they know us. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> know what we eat for breakfast, and what our children eat for breakfast, oh, yeah. or I you know just, who anyone else in our household. I wanted really. to know what your children eat for breakfast. It's that's important true. information in my life. Children yeah. always well, that's eat the affect best the breakfast. way that you write. Yeah, and so I want to eat the same thing that they have. That's true. Breakfast is really a, a child's game. Like they, they have the run of uh, of all the best foods. I mean, I have a black liquid that over the course of my lifetime I've decided that I like, but originally hated. That mm-hmm. I have for, for breakfast every day. So every day. Yep. <laughs> I'll be walking down the cereal aisle, and I'm like, I should buy the healthy whole grains, and with some oat milk because oat milk is amazing. And I should do that, but this cinnamon toast crunch, not a sponsor of the show, uh, <laughs> looks amazing. It looks amazing, and you could just you could basic, but you could just not buy the cinnamon toast crunch and eat a bowl of sugar for breakfast. That's true, or a bowl of cinnamon. Or a bowl of cinnamon. Skip, skip the middleman. Yeah, the <laughs> oh, middle. see now you're see that's thinking just, smart, not hard. That's just, the galaxy brain. Just cinnamon and sugar. There you go. Just mix them together. Mm-hmm. I call it Smarties cereal. <laughs> there what you is go. It? It's Smarties go. and cereal. There you go. Uh, how was Strange Loop? Um, hmm. Oh, really? I picked bad talks, I think. Um, mm. There are bad talks like, at Strange Loop? Every one of them, I was like, uh. Really? Uh, yeah. Hmm. And I hate to say that, because I, I, I love Strange Loop. I love the people that, that run it. Uh, I just feel like a lot of the talks that I went to this year were mind-numbingly boring. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I know that strange loop, uh, offers coaches or they used to for speakers. And all I could think was, uh, these people might be slightly better than me at talking, but they should probably use the speaker coaches. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's always the roll of dice in any conference you go to, you know, someone who's doing amazing cutting edge work or doing something interesting may also not be the most right eloquent or, you know, 
most practiced at delivering, you know, they might be practiced at like doing like a, a defense for the dissertation, which is a very different thing than, you know, giving what essentially amounts to entertainment. I, uh, I also didn't move much my second day mm. because I hopped on one of those bird scooters because it was actually cheaper than a lift at night. And we went down a back road since I used to work in St. Louis to try to avoid traffic. But that also means avoiding street lights. Mm-hmm. So you can't see the pothole in the room. Mm. And I turned going nearly 20 miles an hour and rolled <laughs> across the road. Uh, I The whole right side of my body, every joint except for my elbow was hurting. And my ankles on the insides of both of them were black and blue where they slapped together as oh, I no. rolled around. So uh, I'm good now. It, it took the the day after or the night after the, the last day of Strange Loop. I, re- I drove back to my house and, and it's like a four and a half hour drive. And by the time we got back, I could barely get out of the car because I had sat for so long and every muscle on that side of my body was stiff. Uh, and I have a big yellow mark. Uh, you can kind of see it in the video. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> on my was... wrist where my hand hit the ground. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I'm glad I had my backpack on because I probably would have slammed my head into the concrete had I not. Mm. I landed on my back on my backpack and then rolled from there. Don't do it's, that. It's fun. Don't do that. <laughs> so strange. You... It was awesome. Why so did you do that? It was a lot of fun. The the keynotes at Strange Loop were great. The very first one was uh, I just blanked out on her name, but it was about teaching and software. You did hit your head, so I did hit my head. <laughs> no, I did not hit my head. That's <laughs> so that was that that one was really good. If you get a chance to listen to it, um, her name starts with an F. But it, it was funny because I do part time homeschool with my kids and the things that she's saying, I'm like, oh yeah, I should have recognized that like two years ago. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for teaching me how to teach my children. And then the, the very last one with Imogene Heap was, was pretty awesome. So she makes these uh, gloves um, to make music with. And, and she's got some, some pretty neat open source ideas for uh, getting money to artists in the music industry. That's and, cool. and she, did her concert sharing her screen for the front end for the gloves while she's doing it. So you could like watch the equalizer and, and it was, it was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So they did not disappoint there, but I, I just, I didn't get too excited over any of the other talks. Really. Right. There were a couple of them that I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> right. I don't think the key, the strange loop keynotes is disappointed since that one dude who the security bro who got up there and then was just like, I do security. Thank you for coming to my keynote. <laughs> and just talked about himself like the whole time. Oh my like, God. I'm glad like he just like, just like sort of like, hum- like not even humble brag, just bragged, like just full on brag. Right, like right, right. he's like, and then like, and most of it was like an incoherent rambling mess. And then like at one point he was like hacking team. They don't like me. Great. Big silence. Like, and then I, just, I was like, that's it. And then it's like, I work at Google. I do security at Google. Also, you should use Signal. Peace. Like, I, I, that was I like it. Seen like, that this one. whole talk it's was like, that it. Oh my God. But he I, just name dropped like activists. He's like, so I, I, you know, I know Snowden. And I'm like, okay. 
Nobody cares. What is this talk about? Right? Like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I don't so know good. that you can find that talk. So like, good. I, I think it's like one it. of those. Yeah. So I did not go to it, but the talk on unison, I think, is is at least interesting. <sighs> oh, it's just what? Joe Armstrong. Like... It, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, Some, like, I mean, like, somebody implemented like, his crazy ideas. Well, no, I mean, really, like, Joe, I mean, Joe, Joe, Joe on the mailing on the Erlang mailing list posted that idea more times. Like, that was all he talked about. Like, at like, it you felt like that at the some idea points. for folks that aren't. Okay, so, yeah. So, explain so you, so it's a, it's a functional language, but functions are stored in the system as a hash of uh, their content. Mm -hmm. So even if you rename a function or anything like that, you just get a hash of the content as the name underneath. And and so there there are a lot of implications with that, with being able to have multiple versions of the same function, multiple names for the same function, and safe upgrades because of that, because I can have something using the old version and something using the new version as as I'm upgrading. I I can't remember all of the the other things that they talked about. And it also is is pretty cool that like it com- basically compiles a function at a time from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um so so compile time is instant. Oh. And since everything is just a um a hash in the background as the function name, then that means that you can compile as you're saving all of these and still not run into issues with your running system. Interesting. And you could conceivably, and it stores like raw AST. So you can conceivably like ship the AST to a new box and then run it. And you know that you're running the right thing to, to some degree of no, I actually I don't know. I think there's some there's a little bit of hand waviness around the like distribute distribution story in my mind. But I mean, I get what I get what they're going for. And yeah, that's it. So like the whole idea of like, you know, taking a hash of the contents of a function, then it doesn't matter like what the function's name. That's totally a thing Joe talked about for mm-hmm. a, a long time. time. And uh, yeah, so it's interesting to see that somebody actually built it. You know, it's definitely an, a very interesting idea. I I can't I can't get past what Fred said, which is like, you know, merge conflicts and Git for these are gonna be hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like checking binary files into the into into your repo or whatever. But whatever. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's certainly interesting. But those those files are named after the function hash, right? So I don't I don't know how you get a conflict. It's like yeah. every time you make a new function, you actually make or refactor a function or anything, you create a new file. Yeah, I think it, it's it sounds interesting. I don't know. I my my thing as, was I'm how do I prune enthused. all that old stuff? I I of all those strange loop videos I've watched, that's the one that I get why people are excited about it, but I'm also the least personally enthused by. And I'm not really sure why. I'm I'm ready to be convinced that it's cool. And it is cool. Actually, let me take that back. I'm ready to be convinced that I should care more about it. I find it intellectually interesting, but yeah, yeah I'm like, sure. I'm like, I don't know if that's the next big thing. And, and there was no, no talk of like pruning the system of the old versions of a function. Like, when can you do that? Do you want to do I that? But they you can, I don't know. That's the thing. I was like, but that's true of any distributed system, right? That's true of any right. 
like people people think that you can delete function like RPCs, you know, either endpoints or versions of endpoints or payloads or things in payloads. People think you can delete that stuff, and that's a lie. Like in practice, you can never delete that stuff in an actual distributed system. Like in a system where you don't control all the bits, right? If you control if it's just a if you're building like just a web page or like some something like if you're building like your web appy thing like and you got some javascript front end and you can control the whole system and the whole stack like mm-hmm. yeah maybe you can remove old endpoints or maybe you can do breaking changes it's still highly expensive to do that and i think in an actual world where you're not just distributed in terms of like the the stuff you're working on but in terms of the teams uh, you never get to. You never right. get to go back. You never get to remove that stuff. And definitely it's true of like, if you're just not using the browser and you're using mobile mobile clients, we are using like Android or iPhone or whatever, yeah, you can never remove that stuff because those people aren't forced to upgrade. They can upgrade whenever they want. And like, you can't, you either break it for all of them, however many people are left, and maybe you don't care about that, which, you know, it's your, I guess that's like your prerogative or whatever, but I don't know. Like, it's just this lie. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't take that stuff away. And so in this Unison thing, like, you never get to clean it up. You store that stuff for forever, as far as I'm concerned. Because you can never know. Like, you can never know who's going to call what thing. Because right, the way it's right, built, their, right. their RPC is not talking with data anymore. That's my, I think this is, like, my main problem with it. Their RPC is not based on sending data back and forth, right? Because names don't mean anything in their world. And I think that's actually kind of my main problem with it is I I take the opposite approach is that names are actually super important. Like the name of a thing is important. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get the benefits they, of removing reliance on the names, but the way they do RPC is like actual old school RPC where you're like, execute this function for me and I'm going to pretend that I'm on your box. Like, and that we're just calling functions. And they're not communicating with data, at okay. least not yet. I mean, they could do that. That could be an improvement that they could make, or not an improvement, but that could be a, 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 a difference, like a different way to build that system. But I would much rather like send data back and forth and communicate with the data. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's me. And that's just like where I fall on it. So, I mean, I guess I guess for them, the, the name is the the human part, right? You can give a function multiple names. And, yeah. and that, Na- that you allows can have for as communication. Many- Functions can have as many names as the stars in the sky. Right. You can just give everything, uh, you can name it whatever you want. I really wish everyone could see your gestures right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Alias all the things. But what what they're saying is the name of the function is really the contents of the function by the time you're putting the hash, right? So you're saying like this, this is what this function does. It doesn't have to be human readable, but this is what it does. And this is how we know that it is what it is is because of of the the contents of the function itself and so i'm i'm curious of of the repercussions of that in the long run is it better can we still write code for humans and then have code for computers be maybe maybe better for computers maybe it's not better uh and i'm also curious about the when i do have bugs <laughs> dealing with that like yeah you may have called this function one of these 10 different names in your code so go find it good luck <laughs> so, like, i don't know how that works but, but I'm also curious. 
it also to me betrays or it, it it I don't know like it satisfies this thing that I think people get hung up on, which is like changing the name of something makes it better somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I see this a lot in when people do quote unquote refactoring, which is to say they break crap. <laughs> They'll change the names of things to like you know, align better with like whatever they're in the mood for at the moment. Right. And -hmm. it's like, but then that has this repercussion effect where, you know, everything that relied on that name now doesn't work. And obviously with unison, it's like, well, the the beauty of that is like, you can change the name and it doesn't matter because there's just like all these references to this like structure somewhere and you can find them via the structure somehow. You can like do these lookups or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like, that's like such a, it's like, it doesn't solve. Like, I don't think that solves like the fundamental problem, which is that like changing the name of something is like, it, like that's like the weakest refactor that you're ever going to do. If, if refactoring is even a thing and I'm not convinced that it is like, I don't even think that word is meaningful. Right. Like I, I just like legitimately don't. Like, I don't, I, I think the mean? whole, I think the whole methodology about like how refactoring quote unquote works and like TDD quote unquote works is just like super misguided and super like, say more about, I that. don't know. Uh, it's just like standard, like spoiled programmer, like self-serving attitude nonsense. Like it's like, if you commit to like an API somewhere and you're on a team larger than two people, and people are relying on, you know, an understanding of the system. If you're relying on a shared understanding of the system or a shared understanding of the APIs, and you change those APIs to better suit like your needs, specifically because you've changed like the names of them or something like that, you've now increased like cognitive burden for every other person like working in the system. And I think that it's basically three or more people wherein that that like takes effect. I think with two people, like you can just have a discussion and then work that kind of stuff out. But beyond that, like you're increasing everyone's, you know, you're increasing the cognitive burden on everyone when you do that kind of stuff. And I also, and so like, I think it's, I think that's part of it. I think like once you commit to a name, like you're committing to the name, like you're committing to the thing. And if you want a new name because you like the new name better then you create a new name. But like you can't change the thing that people are relying on, right? Like that's that's just like I'm sorry you didn't think through your problem enough. Like I'm sorry, like you know, like I don't know, like like I I just there- don't. I find it very distasteful, and I and I and I think the whole attitude of like uh, of refactors as an excuse to break things or to change APIs or to you know incrementally make this thing look better or look the way I want it to look. What about in scenarios? I mean, I think I totally agree with you, but like as there are approaches that, I mean, there's a way to approach this stuff that is not necessarily breaking, right? Like depending on, and I guess this goes to your point of depending on how you define refactoring, right? Because when you're in a code base and it's a disaster and it's impossible to work in because you've inherited it, you can't, it's hard to be like, all right, well, we're just going to try and like only add new things and not at least try and make this more functional because it's very inefficient, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think I think there are certainly scenarios where you do want to improve the underlying system that you're working on. 
I think I don't know. Like I'm not saying it's a, you shouldn't you shouldn't break things, but I think there are ways of going about refactoring that are not harmful. Yeah, I I think uh, so. I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place for fixing things. I think there's a place for improving things. And I think design has to be improved incrementally, which does mean that, you know, at some point you need to find new ways to express the problem. I do agree with that. My, my pushback on it is I don't feel like that's what people talk about when they talk about refactoring. Right. That's fair. Like what they talk about is like, I invented a, a new way to think of through the problem like or or there's this like belief that you can come up with like some sort of platonic ideal like you'll just sort of land on the perfect this is the elm problem right you you believe that like you can arrive at a perfect solution that can't be broken and it's just not true right like it's just not it's like you gotta have conceits for the real world my dude like you gotta you gotta like accept that like there is no like the, 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 some of this stuff is just like this isn't math at the end of the day like it's there isn't some sort of there isn't some sort of like perfect design that you're going to stumble into you right. make trade-offs right and you do you do something you know you you take uh you provide access for people so, to do the so things this, they actually have to do in their real lives that, mm-hmm. um as your your understanding may grow that you you can't make changes to the original i i think it depends man like honestly like it depends on what kind of changes you want to make if you have a new understanding of it and you remove functionality well you just broke it and if it's inside your system and your system's five modules deep you know and like that or like like you only have five modules in your system and it's just you and maybe one other person working on Mm -hmm. it think you're kind of like free to do whatever you want because it's inside your little black box so you can change whatever you want if you're working on a system that has a bunch of external dependencies and a bunch of people working in it you know i literally like more than two i don't know like i think i think breaking stuff has a Mm -hmm. really really high cost and i don't know like maybe you just create like you know, a new name, a new module and start using that thing and like grow the system that way. And yeah, you have to like, you have to, you're, you're still beholden to this old thing for some amount of time. And maybe eventually you can like actually expunge it from your world, depending on where it lives inside of your code base. But the fact is, is like if someone's relying on your service, like you've got some service, you provide, I don't know, some information mm-hmm. about widgets or whatever mm-hmm. it is that your domain is. If they're relying on that, they're relying on all the implications of how you're doing things under the hood. Unless those implications are like very trivial. Like I store stuff in a database and I pull it back out of the database, right? If you're doing any business logic in there, that external people right. are reliant even, on even if it's that a business bug. logic, whether you like right. it or and, not. And that's like, that's where it gets hard. Like even, even if it's even wrong, so much right? as raising an exception, I've seen from an end user perspective, not like an API or internal usage. I've actually seen from an end user per- perspective that become like we know we're going to hit this and it's going to raise a an error and then we're going to do something else and maybe they've automated something based on that error. But they they've they've looked at that exception as a success condition. No, it's true. Now. Right. Well, or yeah. or they're relying on, you know, 
like they're relying on something that you're working on that you built being item potent. And then like you realize that in order to actually do this correctly, it shouldn't be item potent. And then you do the next thing. And it's like, well, now what? Like mm-hmm. You can't, you can't remove that. You can't remove that semantic from your service. That's an, it's a quote unquote internal thing. This is why this is like where encapsulation all starts to break down is because like the semantics of how your thing works has implications on its external users, right? And first of all, you should all your sir. If you're building services, they should be item posts. So, what do you do when Just you like find out? Stop. Like, let's you but have like, service, uh, I don't know what it does. It doesn't matter what it does. It it writes some data into your widget database, and you find out that under a specific set of conditions, that it is no longer item potent if you pass in like a certain set of things. But your guarantees, mm-hmm. what you're trying to do is make it item potent. Like that is your 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 guarantees. All of your testing is all around that. You just missed this one case. Now what do you do? I think in that specific case, um I think in the majority <laughs> of cases, if we're talking about item potency specifically, uh I think in the majority of cases, being item potent is a relaxation of requirements. Um, and that's how I like to think about the differences between growth changes and breaking changes. Are you adding requirements or are you relaxing the requirements? If you're relaxing the requirements, that's a growth only change. If you're increasing the requirements, that's a breaking change. And increasing the requirements might mean like you have to pass me this extra variable or this extra argument in my function call. That'd be an increase in requirement. It might be things like I only accept users now where before I accepted users, cats, dogs, uh, whatever. Now I'm only going to accept users. That would be a, that would be a restriction of the requirements of the function, or it's going to do less, right? Like it's going to provide you less stuff. I'm going to return you less fields than I returned you yesterday. That would also be a restriction of the requirements, uh, or a restriction of the API, mm-hmm. right? But if you're relaxing the API's requirements, right, you're saying you can send me less you don't have to actually pass me all these extra arguments anymore and I'll figure it out. I'll know how to do the right thing. Or you now you can pass me. You I was only accepting users before, but now I accept users, cats, dogs. Or I'm gonna return you more things than I returned the day before. That's all a growth. That's all that's all relaxing the requirements. And in that way, I think generally, not always, but generally, uh, if you make a function item potent, which is to say you can call it multiple times. And you'll all like, well, that's not the right way to say it because item potence is different than referential transparency. And people get that, people get that uh, wrong a lot. Like absolute value is Mm -hmm. item potent. Adding is not. Right. That's anyway. But if you actually are like building an, uh, an item potent API, in many ways, that's a relaxation of the requirement, which is the requirement being you can only call me once. Like before you could only call me once and I had no guarantees about what the side effects would be. So that's a requirement. You have to call me once. Now you can call me as many times as you want. And uh, there's a bunch of knock-on effects for that. Like it's like, there's a, that's a really nice property to have in distributed systems, turns out. Cause that's how you fake, that's how you fake exactly once delivery. But I so I, in that way, I would say like, that's a growth, like, now, if you went the other way, now for some use cases it may not be. For some use cases, you may wanted to. So you may have wanted by that relaxing, for whatever reason. I can't think of it, any off the top of my head. It sounds like you're talking about like the amount of data or things that you have to pass in if you can reduce that. But so 
you have an API that takes in a Boolean, right? True or false. And that's all like, well, it might take in some other data. I don't care. It takes in 10 data points. One of them is true or false. And that's all it allows. And then you change it to list be true. So now it's everything is true except for false. So that I, I'm, I'm worried about your language there because to me that would be, I would call that relaxing API because you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm more permissive. You can send me whatever, I'll figure it out. But at the same time, you've, you've changed the expressiveness and, and how the, your API reacts possibly and, and could have side effects that you don't see. Was that fair, or are you saying that that's different? I don't know. Have you? I don't think you. I think. I think no. I, I still. Think I don't that's think a that's growth. different. I agree. Because you could. You would still. It would still work the way it used exactly. to work. Exactly. As long as I think that's Keithley's big point, right? Like if it still works the way it used to, okay. and now you're just okay. allowing more functionality effectively, yep. right? Then that's like growth. Yeah, and there and there's a whole category of things of like this this sucks like I don't want to work on this anymore um, because the, you know it's this like tangled mess of stuff. We I don't know. My hunch is that I've seen a lot less of that in Elixir. That might be because I'm very fortunate to work with a bunch of like very capable, smart people uh, who have been around the block a bit. Um, but even I don't know. Even in like the most rudimentary of, of Elixir stuff. I haven't seen it be too bad. I'm sure other people have, you know, horror stories from that, uh, from other languages. Um, but I mean, I totally get that too. Like if you, if you've got stuff that you're really unhappy with, like you do need a way to, to increase your productivity and design does get better incrementally. Right. Uh, and the trick there is figuring out how do you start to like build up a new thing so that you can eventually sort of mm -hmm. like strangle out the old thing. Mm hmm without changing the semantics and the fact, and I'm of kind of of the opinion that you kind of can't, like you just inevitably will change the semantics mm -hmm. through sheer accident and like sheer probability. And so you kind of have to like migrate gracefully in that way, which is really, really hard. And like, that's where, you know, the whole idea of like, don't do rewrites and grow, you know, these, these like quote unquote design patterns or refactoring patterns come in or whatever. Which are fine. Like there, there's a whole, there's a class of things that is really useful. Like if you're trying to like incrementally improve a system, you know, changing all the APIs to better suit your tastes is does not fall in the category of things that like move needles. Right. That's fair. So I'm quiet. I'm I'm just thinking. <laughs> uh, because I understand why why people want to change those things. I, yeah, I also think maybe. my I think my tolerance is high. I, I, this is something I've I've learned. I, this is something I've learned. Um, uh, you know, people have told me this. But, um, I think my tolerance is super high for what other people consider to be like really crappy design. I don't end up caring that much. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I just feel like it's not. If, as long as I'm still able to work around in the system and like get stuff done, like it's like kind of okay. And that's that's kind of the measure. I, I, I don't know. And I think you just kind of incrementally who, fix stuff up as you go. Is okay with that and maybe pushes back against it. I also think that you need the person who's not on a team. And there I there's there's a, a middle road there somewhere that I think is is ideal. Like it's not don't ever refactor anything, but it's hey, maybe we should really think about whether we should refactor this or maybe just have a, a new version off to the side or Maybe we should leave it alone. Well, and that's the thing. 
I think don't again, use the, don't use the word refactor. Exactly, refactor is a, a dumb word. It doesn't mean anything. Like, like what is what do you? I was gonna say what do you mean by refactor, right? Like especially when you have a system that is distributed and you have it's mm-hmm. hard to know exactly what's happening where and when. Like change making changes is really hard, right? And making changes to existing functionality is really hard. And so when we say refactor, like what does that mean? I mean, well, that's I mean, the thing. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's full stop. Refactoring is, is a word that doesn't mean Usually you want to refactor because you're like, well, I want to make, this is a gross overgeneralization, but like I want to do something to make the yeah. system work yeah, better for me, in some way. What I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to update right? things that make change in the future better. That's my idea of refactoring. It's not like, let's go rename all the things or anything like that, but like I'm... I'm basically grooming the system constantly to try to make sure that the next change that we need to make is going to be simpler. It's true, but I feel like there's also a lot of assumptions. We have to be careful, right? Because there's also a lot of assumptions in that, right? Yes. The next change is going to be simpler, but we're making assumptions Always. now, and we don't know what's going to happen later. And how often are you like, oh, yeah, maybe that was pre-optimized right. because I, I think, and you're always making those trade-offs in, in any of the decisions that you're making, whether you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think that most people don't realize that they're making those. Not that they don't know that they're there. They're just not at the time taking taking a moment right. or three days or a week to actually think about what are the repercussions of the design decisions that I'm making right now. And then it would include me. Like I know that daily, yep. I I don't always make those decisions. And I think part of it is is I've been doing this for so long that there are certain things that I I see in the way that I write that I'm like, hey, this is probably going to be better for me in the long run. And that that may be a little bit of the Einstein effect, but it's still I think I think it's okay <laughs> to a point. Otherwise, experience means nothing. I, I also have a, I mean, so I, I totally agree with the refactorings with with the idea of like, if you're 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 always wanting to improve the system, but there are words that can be used to describe what improving the system means, like concrete words. It's like saying something strongly typed. It's like that doesn't mean anything. Like that that's that's like it's just it doesn't convey anything of value. Like. You can like that doesn't describe a type system, right? In the same way that like refactoring doesn't really describe what you're doing. Are you improving performance? Are you making the system more open? Which is to say, you're going to make it easier to grow in the future. Are you closing the system? Like, are you restricting the values that you're going to allow to be passed this thing? Are you adding more constraints? Like, those are real words, and you can actually talk about them in like in concrete ways. And in some ways that are actually kind of knowable and tractable for some of those cases. And I think that's like a much more interesting way to talk about this stuff because right. it, it like, it gives, it, it, it allows you to actually, I mean, first of all, like you check yourself, right? You know, you don't want to go react router and <laughs> change your API 10 times or whatever it was in order to, you know, better suit like the needs of the day. Right. Like if you've got to do that, you've like fundamentally failed. Like you fundamentally failed at design. Like well, I, not to I mean, like throw them under the bus or Angu- anything. But, Angular, uh, Angular did the same thing. Right. They just JavaScript. Like, they just threw of. away all of the original. They're like, oh my well, god! No, but it was but a I feel like that's yes. I, this is bad. So I feel when whenever Keith Lee's talking that that that's what he's after. Like 
well, we can't refactor Angular 1, and it's so bad that we'll just put it off to the side and start over. I mean, to be fair, though, then right. you haven't broken it for the people that are still using it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, like, pe- people still know. use Angular yes. 1X, don't they? Yes. Yes. I'm I've seen it. I'm supposed to get a, a little demo of an Angular 1X so, like, today. I mean, mission accomplished? Like, but like, but like, why, like, like, why, like, why is that bad? It's not. What's bad is if you're like, I took this name, this name of this thing. This is also, I mean, this is also partially why like semantic versioning is broken, right? This is like why this doesn't work is because you take this name, this super important thing. And then in some ways, this is like props to Unison for, you know, we're we're back around to this. It's like maybe Unison actually does solve this, but Mm -hmm. you take this name, this name that's important. And then you assign a dollar value to it, like a number value. And then you're like, okay, that's what it is now. And, but, but like everything falls under the name. So Angular 1.x and Angular 2 are basically just two different things, but they fall in the name of Angular. So now like if you can't upgrade, you can't like use the new version. There's no benefit to like moving to the new thing. Cause I like the old thing. Right. And but in some ways, like if you just if the names just become Angular One X and Angular Two, and those are just like two distinct things, like that kind of that's kind of fine, right? If you blur the lines between the versions and the names, and there's one canonical name, and then this like myriad set of things underneath it, and you're not allowed to like move or use the different parts of it that mm-hmm. you actually care about, then that's broken, and you wrecked it. You just wrecked it like you know you, you, you like you, you fundamentally kind of I, broke I think the system, that's actually right? one thing that i will say with with angular that i think they did right i don't i don't write a lot of jazz stuff either and i i would prefer not to but you can they they use different namespaces and everything so you can run angular one and angular two on the same front end on the same app if you need to yeah that's really that's see, but they that both seems have great. versions underneath that yeah i'm currently at 400 and uh 413 days without JavaScript. I like that keep, you're I keep ticking over the, the... I wrote you know, eight lines of JavaScript. ticking over the, the counter. About four years ago. And that was the last JavaScript I wrote. Yep. And before before serious? that, about, wow. about three months wow. before that, I, I was it. working in a React app. And a couple of years before that, I did an Angular 1 app. Uh, not by choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hated it. Every moment of it. I did Angular 1 back in the day. But I don't know. I I, I think like, the, I, I mean, obviously like the end goal is like, you just don't mm. have breaking changes. Like, right? Right, like, exactly. Like make sure that, that the people that are using it can use your, your stuff. Right. But that also, but you know, that that's hard. That's like it really, is. really hard. Because you have to really sit and think through that design. Yes. And you have to make a bunch of trade-offs. Yep. I think one of the ways you solve that is you make everything in your system open. You make it open for extensibility. And I think Elixir is well suited for this because macros and, and a bunch of other things. But essentially with macros, you can do this as much as, as long as you want to. Like if it's like this is a thing Jose says all the time, right? If 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 you can't extend the language yourself, we've fundamentally failed. Right. And people hate on macros for reasons. Well, mostly, it's it, like it's left weird over Ruby hate from the method missing. semantics of the language right. completely, right? So, if like operator overloading, I, I guess that's not really macros, but you can get the same kind of thing with macros. Is you can turn plus into subtraction, right? Addition into subtraction, and then then it it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think like again, you take the good with the bad, right? Like 
you know, Prologue had to have a cut operator for in order to like be useful in the real world. Like, like I would rather have a system that allows mm-hmm. extensibility. It allows us to add new bits to the language uh, as needed. Sure. Uh, and and you know, it's like whatever. Like, I'm not worried. I'm not. I'm not personally super worried about. Well, the, well, that's people that's doing just stupid where stuff the, with the, the, with the operators. Is all I'm saying. I mean, is no, I know, but it's like, but it's like. <laughs> then you don't want this language, right? Like, move on. <laughs> like, do something else. Like, I don't know. I don't mean to like gatekeep, but it's like if you don't like if if you don't like that, then you know, like I, I don't know what I don't know how to help you. The whole language is written with macros, so maybe like get over it. Like, it's a whole thing, right? Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know how you do do that. But I also think there's other systems. Mm-hmm. There's other ways of making open systems like protocols like norm is based on protocols and I, I love protocols. I think they're weak abstractions. Like, you know, you really don't have enough power with protocols. I have to say, okay. Just wanted to make sure that that word is very overloaded protocols. Like you, you really don't, you don't have enough, like you don't have enough Mm -hmm. to go on for a lot of protocols, but they're still really, really useful. And they're really powerful as a way to build open systems. They're not right. as powerful as they could be, but if you want to build things that are open that allow you to, to, to provide more functionality in the future with very minimal effort, like protocols are great for that. And one of the, I'm, I'm very happy. Like one of the first thing, one of the, one of the things I actually got right on norm was like, everything is based on protocols in there. And because of that, I've been able to just gradually like add new functionality without any changes internally. Like we just add, it's just continually growing did, these like sweet of like things. There's this cool thing about structs, right? Because I thought you didn't like structs. <laughs> well, I mean i I don't like structs when I don't like structs when you use them as mm-hmm. surrogate Fair like enough. runtime types, and you pattern match on them because you're again you're creating closed systems when you do that, like. What matters isn't the struct. Mm-hmm. What matters like is what's in the struct. Like most of the time. And this is actually kind of where protocols like don't like they lose their power because they are based on structs. And often that's not really what you care about. You care about what's in the struct. Like you care about the keys inside of the struct, the actual structure of the struct. Like what is inside of it? What are the keys? What values are inside of those keys? Like that's the kind of stuff you actually kind of care about. And you want to be able to choose where, like mm-hmm. your, your, you know, your, your adventure based on that. Mm-hmm. Like you think about a system, for instance, that has a bunch of events coming into it, right? And each of the events is a map, and the events have a type, mm-hmm. and the, there's a type key, and then like a string value, let's say, that says the type of it. How would you build an open system for events? Well, one way to do it would be like case statements everywhere that like match on the type of events. But if you need to do that in a bunch of places, it's it's gross. The other way to do it would be to do a single case statement in something, I don't know, let's call it like a factory that needs to build you these like one-off structs that can then implement this protocol that you have in order to grow the system over time. Mm-hmm. But that still means that you have to get in there and add more things to the case statement and add new structs every time you have a new event. Yeah, ultimately, somewhere there's a case statement. <laughs> or 
you could build an open system that allowed you to do any arbitrary predicate or not a predicate, but any arbitrary mm-hmm. dispatcher function, let's call it that knew how to delegate to any implementation based on whatever you wanted. So that would be a different way to solve that same problem. And protocols right now are weak in that you don't have that ability. You have to use structs to do that. So you have to do this struct conversion thing. You can't just like start passing in, and you have to build a new struct and all this kind of stuff. You can't just like pass a new type in, implement a new a new uh, method for that mm-hmm. for that version of the event or whatever. Right. You have to yeah. do a lot more legwork to make that all happen. And so, but protocols overall are still good, and you should use them. And we should probably be using them like way more because they do allow us to like grow these systems with super minimal change. Like I, I've been amazed. Like I, I have to do so little to just add new stuff and it's stuff that needed to be added. And like, we're not just like throwing garbage in there. It was like, we needed to support these other things, but like yeah. just implement yeah. the protocols. There's like three protocols. Right. And, and as and long as you implement them, they're it's I, all works. I will say adding, adding a new one and it all composes. Like said, is, is fairly simple. I think that's something that uh, Elixir definitely got right was, adding some new protocol takes little to no effort. Not a new protocol, a new implement. A new yeah, thing that implements yeah. the protocol. And, and it'll, it'll, yeah. it no, yells I at you I, I think correctly until like, you get everything right. It gives you some some uh, training wheels, I guess, with the compiling errors and everything. So I, I really appreciate the work that's been put into that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I dig them. I don't know. I think there's other ways to build systems like that. Uh, and, and in some ways, that is that gets back to your point you made a minute ago, which is like, uh, Amos, which is like, if you want to improve the system today so that it's easier to change in the future, well, maybe one of the ways you do that is you start to, one of the quote unquote, like changes, the like refactors you would make is like convert some mm-hmm. of this stuff internally to start using a protocol. And that, but that's like still a concrete thing. Like protocols allow you to build open systems, systems that are open to growth over time. And you can actually talk about it in concrete terms. Like I'm going to convert this to a protocol so that I can grow. Um, we're, fr- we're more, it's easier to grow this system down the line. Like that's a tangible thing that you can talk about now, as opposed to having this catch all, which is an excuse to break things. Which is mostly where my problem with it comes Fair from. Fair enough. Right. <laughs> but anyway, Unison's really cool. You should go check out Unit. Uh, you should look into it. Yeah. Unit. <laughs> Unison or Dark Home? On that note. On that Shh, note. Just moving on. Move on. Just move oh on. Oh my gosh. Backends are. It's too complicated to build. See, here's the thing Darkling claims that it's too complicated to build backends today. Yet they are a backend software. So my question is, well, in in their how in in their facts it? it says how did they manage it? How did they manage to build a backend? In their facts it says that you can't run darkling cuz it's too complicated. But then it also says if darkling goes out of business, they they have plans in place to open source it so that you can run it yourself. I'm like, Ooh, I thought it Here's was too thing. complicated to run myself. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I thought I thought we'd already agreed. It's too complicated. No, and here's the thing. I you know, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I I thought about using AWS Lambda 
at one point. Mm-hmm. But for me, the vendor lock-in just really wasn't high enough. Yeah. But with Darkling, I feel like that problem's super solved. Now I'm. I, I, it's got. It's got the the right amount of vendor lock in, which is to say, the most. Everything. The most vendor lock in you could possibly have. Well, and, that, uh, and that, it's really good. And then it's too hard for you to write thing. It's it's like Go meets Cloud, right? And then they just put it in one, and then they even gave you your editor. It, it, it's like, it's I don't know. It, although it's, the demo made really me think of Smalltalk. So uh, if you really like Smalltalk. And and you think that small talk didn't fail fast enough due to vendor lock in? You can you can relive that again. <laughs> I also really like well, everything. I really that's like new, right? That's right. I really <laughs> like that it's based on feature flags too. They're like this grand, this this amazing new concept no one's ever heard of before called feature flags. That's how we do the safe deployments. You see, and our well, deployments take five milliseconds. It's like. Yeah, dude. Like, so do I. Like, I already do this. Like today, and mine are faster. Actually, like, <laughs> perfect. Five milliseconds to dis- to deploy. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? An amateur hour. <laughs> oh. Get on my level. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I'm that's good. How much money is this uh, company get funded for? I have no idea. Uh, but I need to start one. Um, right, right now. This feels like the Theranos of deployment strategies. Is, is what I have to say about it. I feel like this is oh the, God, the best point to end the show on today. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go get some lunch. All right. Okay. All right. Talk to you a turkey sandwich. Turkey sandwich. Bye. Turkey sandwiches. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>